out. All right, we're going to be uh, reading a bunch this morning because uh, we're going to finish Hezekiah. Are you ready to be done? Okay. Well, good. I'm glad it's been riveting for you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm ready to be done too. This is good. We are going to finish Hezekiah. This is, uh, if I think I'm tracking right, this is our 13th week of Hezekiah. So uh, we are going to finish. And I want to just tell you that this is not, if anybody, if you've read the Bible, uh, I don't know, I grew up as a kid, like the Bible was this fair, kind of fairy tale book. I, and for whatever reason in Sunday school, they felt like they always had to uh, turn the stories to make them the happy endings, like in fairy tales. And so a lot of times in Bible stories, I didn't get the end of the story where the, the, the tragedy and the tough stuff happens. We just Sunday school it and make it look nice. This is one of those that just doesn't end well. Like we're going to finish Hezekiah and it's not going to be triumph. It's going to be sad. Uh, it gets really murky for Hezekiah. He struggles deeply with pride and, uh, and ends up uh, kind of collapsing here at the end. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that. It's good for us to, uh, to, to look at that, to see uh, where, uh, where he struggled uh, because it's where we struggle as well and we can learn uh, much from, uh, from his struggles and I, and I think uh, apply that into our lives and into what God is doing in our day. So what we're going to do is we're going to be back and forth. Remember, Hezekiah kind of takes place in a few different places. It's in the book of Isaiah, the book of 2 Kings, and in the book of 2 Chronicles. So we're going to be uh, predominantly today, if you want to put uh, one finger in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, we're going to be there. Um, and then we're also going to be in 2 Kings chapter 20. So we'll be in both places this morning uh, if you want to go ahead and, and get there. But basically, so last week, um, we, we talked about the, the threat of the Assyrians. And we talked about how Hezekiah, he, he just totally robbed the temple of God to send a gift to the king of Assyria to try to appease him so that he wouldn't attack um, Jerusalem. Well, it didn't work. He brought, uh, the Assyrians brought their, uh, they, they didn't bring their armies, but they brought their, uh, we'd just call them generals, and they made an announcement that, that God would not stand uh, for Jerusalem, and that the king of Assyria would do to Judah just like he had done to every other nation that he'd come into contact with, that he would destroy them, wipe them out, and take them all into captivity. And this was the threat. And you remember that the people were on the walls, and Hezekiah had told them, don't, don't say anything, just listen. And the, uh, the, the envoy from the generals from the king of Assyria spoke in a language that the people could understand to intimidate and threaten them. And then uh, they brought the message back to Hezekiah, um, and, and we see kind of this, and, and we can see the struggle in Hezekiah's life here because we saw him. I mean, he, he robbed the temple to try to appease the Assyrians. This is the same temple that he had, uh, he had spent uh, tons of time restoring that was so precious to him because of, uh, of what it meant to, to God. And then he robs it to appease the Assyrians. And then this, this message comes back. And then you see him kind of repent and, and go to the Lord and ask the Lord uh, to turn away these armies. And God does. And God, God brings a word and says that he's going to turn back the armies uh, of Assyria without Judah having ev- uh, to even lift a finger. Remember, he says, you're not even going to have to swing a sword or fire your bow because I'm going to, I'm going to uh, create chaos in their midst and they're going to flee. And it happens, right? It happens. And so um, what we're going to read uh, now, and, and it's a little, con- the timing of these uh, stories can be a little bit confusing. But though the king of Assyria uh, flees, he's still kind of this looming threat. And so what we're going to read about now is, is, um, is kind of within this looming threat uh, of the king uh, of Assyria. So uh, what happens is that after, uh, kind of after this initial uh, discussion, Hezekiah gets really sick. 
And, uh, and, and the Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail on, on exactly what he becomes ill with, but he becomes so ill that it is his, the loss of his life is imminent. And God sends Isaiah the prophet to tell him, number your days because it's over. And what, that, that's, that's crazy, right? So Isaiah comes to Hezekiah. And it's hard, to, it's hard to know, like, is this a gift from God? Is this, is this, uh, is this punishment and disobedience? Like, what, what's God doing here? But, but Isaiah comes and tells Hezekiah, he says, look, your days are numbered. Number your days because, because you're sick and you're going to die from whatever you're sick with, right? And so Hezekiah, uh, obviously this is difficult news to take. And, and Hezekiah just kind of falls before the Lord and pleads for his life. And the scripture tells us, and you can read this, I'm not going to, we're not going to go, go into this uh, today, but you can read this. This is in detailed in 2 Kings chapter 20. But what he does is uh, Hezekiah just, it's, it's immediate. He falls before the Lord and begs the Lord for his life. And the scripture says that essentially before Isaiah left the building, God brought another word to Isaiah and God says, okay, turn back. I've chosen to, uh, I've heard his cry and I'm going to add 15 years to his life. And I'm going to also bring a sign to him that, I, that I'm going to add these years to his life. So Isaiah turns around, he goes back into Hezekiah, and he tells Hezekiah this news. And, and you would think, okay, he's just heard he's going to die. And then Isaiah comes in and says, actually, God, is going to, God has heard your cry, and he's going to add 15 more years to your life. You would think it would be a little bit of relief. And he says, God's going to send you a sign. And, and Hezekiah goes, well, what sign is he going to send me? So here, you know what I'm saying? So here we, we can see the struggle of Hezekiah's heart. He's just, been, he's just been blessed by the Lord with 15 more years. And then he says, well, what's the sign that he's going to send me? And Isaiah tells him, well, and I'm paraphrasing here, but well, either the shadow, he's talking about the, the, uh, the dial of the sun. Okay, the shadow is going to move forward or it's going to move backward. One of those two. And, and Hezekiah says, well, it's harder for God to stop time than it is for him to fast forward. This is paraphrased. But it's harder for him to stop time than it is for fast forward. So make him do that. And then I'll know that he's going to add 15 more years to my life. You see his struggle. You see his struggle with faith. And I mean, I, the prophet has just said 15 more years. And he says, well, I want him to do the harder thing. So I'll believe him. What have we read that Hezekiah has already seen? He's already seen God turn back the armies of the Assyrians. He's already seen him restore Jerusalem and Judah. We've already seen unity amongst the people. We've seen uh, the Passover reinstate. I mean, we've seen God do incredible things. And he says, no, I want him to do the harder thing. So it, it, uh, there's agreement. Okay, fine. God will do it. God does it. And there's 15 years added. So now I want you to jump to, uh, go to Second Chronicles. We're going to read a little bit here. So this is kind of in the midst of, of all of that. And, and we'll read, and you'll see why it's important to have Second Kings with it, because Second Chronicles just gives us a quick little look. But we're going to be in chapter 32, and we're going to start in verse 24. All right? I still hear some pages, so I'll give you just a second. Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 24. All right. It says, In those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And prayed to the Lord, and he answered him and gave him a sign. So all that verse 24 is the story I just told you that's in detail, and, right? So you're like, you should have just read it from there. We would have been moving on so much faster. All right, verse 25. But Hezekiah, look at this. Here it is. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him. For his heart was what? Yeah, you see it? It's, 
it's really quick. He was sick. The Lord healed him and gave him a sign. And then it says, And Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done for him, for his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. And look at verse 26. But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of God did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. So what's it say? So he, he's, do you see it? He's wavering, man. It's like one minute there's pride, and then one minute there's humility, and then the next minute there's pride, and then the next minute there's humility. You guys ever experience that in your life where it's just that's the line that you walk that's that tension that you walk of 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 pride and owning your life and owning the the things that you're going to do and and your hopes and dreams and and thoughts and aspirations and then and then it's like you get in that moment where you realize okay maybe this isn't the best idea for me to hang on to this maybe this needs to be the lord's and we had these moments where we where we humble ourselves right we read this in hezekiah and we go you are so flippant but let's look at ourselves how flippant can we be in these moments? How flippant can we be uh, many times as we give to the Lord and then we own it back? And then we give to the Lord and then we, and then we own it back. It's this line that he's walking. Uh, it's the tension between pride and humility. And so it says that he humbled himself for the pride of his heart and the wrath of God was delayed. It didn't not come, but it was delayed and it didn't come on the days of Hezekiah. So let's keep, let's keep reading. We're going to get to the details of that here in just a minute. So it says that Hezekiah had very great riches and honor, and he made for himself treasuries for silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, and for all kinds of costly vessels, storehouses also for the yield of grain, wine, and oil, and stalls for all kinds of cattle and sheepfolds. He likewise provided cities for himself, cities for himself, and flocks and herds in abundance. For God had given him very great possessions. You even see it there. Whose possessions were they? Who was the author of the gift? God. And what does it say? And Hezekiah took for himself. Hezekiah made for himself. Um, Okay, so let's let's keep going. This same Hezekiah closed uh, the upper outlet of the waters of Gihon and directed them down to the west side of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in all his works. And, and, and so he was good as a king. If you, if you ever go to the city of David in, in Jerusalem, you can actually still see the work, uh, the, this water work that, that Hezekiah did. Uh, basically what he did is he created uh, a system of water flow where they would not have to go outside of the walls of the city of David to achieve water. And this is brilliant. I mean, you, you look at what he did with the, the resources and the tools that he had. It's unbelievable. But he diverted water flow so that they were able to have constant running water within their city walls. And what does that mean? That's safety for people, right? Because the city wall is the place of, uh, of safety. And what, what uh, many, many, many weak, or sorry, what many Uh, places had as weakness was that their supply of water could be cut off beyond their gates. And so what Hezekiah did is he created this system where it could all be within the walls. It's fascinating if you go and look. You can actually walk in um, some of those those areas. It's It's really pretty cool. So he was brilliant as a leader. And look, in verse 31, he prospered in all his works. And so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon, who had been sent uh, to him, to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land. Look at what it says. It says, God left him to himself 
in order to test him and know all that was in his heart. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his good deeds, behold, they're written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. Okay? So this, for Second Chronicles, this is going to close the book on Hezekiah. So we're going to go back to, to Second Kings. But I want you, before we go into the details of what, uh, in Second Kings, I want you to hear this again. So it's, it's going to introduce this story. It says, in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon. So this is a story that Second Kings references. Who had been sent to him. Why had they been sent to him? To inquire about the sign that had been done in the land. Basically, they've heard all of what God has done um, in, in Judah, including the great wealth that Judah had accumulated, as well as the, the newfound health of the king. And it says that God left him to himself. That God left him to himself for what reason? In order to test him and know all that was in his heart. You, got, you can't read this as God abandons him, as God turns his back on him. Rather, we have to read this as God stepping back. And seeing where, Hezekiah, where does your heart truly lie? God has been faithful, has gone above and beyond in providing over and over and over. Miraculous work after miraculous work. And it says in this matter, God stepped back. And there was a testing that happened with Hezekiah. Now, we, this is a little uncomfortable for us. We don't like to think of our Father God as, as, a, as one that would remove himself and test to know what is in our heart. But it's all throughout the scriptures. We see God do this all throughout the scriptures. And this is the kindness of the Father. This is a fatherly move to step back and to quietly observe, to see the true fruit that is in the heart of a a son or of a daughter. And this is what he does to Hezekiah. Hezekiah has been wavering. And it's as if God said, okay, now here comes the princes of Babylon. They're going to appease your pride. Let's see what's really, really in, in you. Will you humble yourself as you've been kind of wavering on and cry out to me? Will you depend on me or will your pride increase? So that's the setup. Okay, so now go to 2 Kings again. Did you guys already lose your place in 2 Kings or are you already there? Okay, so here's this envoy from Babylon. Now, if, you've, if, if you're familiar with the history of Israel, the, the history of the Old Testament, you know that Babylon is a scary word, Right? Babylon is is intimidating, and this is the very beginning of uh, of what uh, of what will happen with with Babylon. So, uh, go to verse twelve. Are you guys tracking? I know there's a lot of back and forth. Everybody good? We're good with the story. We know where we're at. Okay. All right. It says in verse twelve of Second Kings chapter twenty. At that time, Merodach Baldan, the son of Baldan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a what. There it is, with letters and a present to Hezekiah. For he heard that Hezekiah had been sick, and Hezekiah welcomed them, and he showed them all, what's that word? Yeah, there it is. He showed them all his, what did we just read? He had made for himself quite a show, hadn't he? Out of all that God had blessed them with, and remember, where did all that blessing come from? It came from from this original moment where he he called people to give to the house of the Lord. And there was abundance, right? And there was absolute overflow in terms of blessing. And he started to own it a little bit. He started to see the work of God, this increase of blessing, the work of God. And he started to own it a little bit. I I, want to tell you that I believe that the temptation to pride in victory 
is just as dangerous, just as dangerous as the temptation to fear when we are in threat or weakness, right? That it's just as slippery a slope for us to begin to, in moments of blessing, to to step into pride. That's just as tricky a situation, and I think even sometimes more dangerous for us than it is when we are are, uh, totally uh, at our end. And when, when, when we are right about to break, those are, those are difficult moments when there's fear and threat. But I think sometimes that we, we, in those moments, we stand firm. It's when there's blessing and when there's increase that it becomes difficult for us not to step in and to, well, God, thanks, and then I own a little bit of it. The work that God has begun to do, I begin to own a little bit. This is what Hezekiah was, was fighting. But anyway, they come... And, uh, and Hezekiah welcomes them, verse 13, and he showed them all his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory. Guys, this is a big deal. This is a big deal, okay? He shows them his armory. This is, this is their wealth and their weapons, okay? This is a bad strategy, Right? This is a bad foreign diplomatic strategy. Hey, come see all that we have, right? Oh, you power who we do not know anything about, right? He shows him his armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. And what was it the result of? They came with a gift. What did they do? They came and they increased his pride. They came and they played to his we have heard how you've recovered from being sick. And here's more. Look at how well you're doing. And he, went, and he goes, oh, yeah, you want to see the rest of it? You want to see how good it really is? Because I'm better. You see me standing here, but look at all that God has given us. All of his reason is gone. All right. And he says, he showed him, it showed him everything. Verse 14. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah. And said to him, what did these men say? And from where did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, they have come from a far country, from Babylon. He said, what have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. And then Isaiah says to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons, who shall be born to you, shall be taken away. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, and I don't even know how we reconcile these words, but listen to what he says. The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. Now wait a minute. Did you read with me what he just said? He just said everything would be gone. And this is what Hezekiah says. The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, why did he think is good? Why not? If there will be peace and security in what? In my day. How deteriorated has his heart become? To where a word of disaster for further generations did not bother him. Because his thought was, As long as I live in blessing, it doesn't matter. God stepped away. God stepped back in the matter of the envoy 
of the princes of Babylon to expose the true heart of Hezekiah. And this is where it gets just so sad to me. Because think about what we read about him in the beginning. Look at what we saw in the very beginning, that he was a man that loved God, that was diligent, that searched the scriptures to do everything according to the law, that reestablished worship, that brought unity, that worshiped God. And in the excess, in the blessing, and it happens slowly. And I want to just tell you that that's the way that pride works. Pride comes slowly. If you're noticing it, it's already been there. It comes and it works itself in slowly. And here's the deal with pride. Pride isn't just standing up and saying, look how great I am. That's not the typical problem of pride. Now, we've got people like that. We can look in our culture, Kanye West, we can look in our culture and, and, and see people that struggle with pride, right? I didn't mean, I just, sometimes things just come out. But that's a great cultural example, Right? And we look at that and we go, oh gosh, I'm not that prideful. You see it? You see how that slipped in the back door? At least I don't stand up and say how wonderful I am. I'm the, you, know. you see it? Pride is a slow trickle. And it comes in... Uh, I, I believe it comes in through the back door of owning the blessing that is only the Lord's. We saw it with Hezekiah. God had brought increase and wealth and riches and blessing. And over time, Hezekiah began to own it as if it was his. And it wasn't just about stuff. Think about the opportunity that he had with the princes of Babylon. They came and they said, we've heard how you've been sick. What did he have the opportunity to say? Oh, yeah. The only reason I'm well today is because of the favor of God. He didn't say it. He said, and look what else. In all things, pride will slip in as we begin to own the things that are only the Lord's. And what does Psalm 24 verse 1 say? It's not on the screen, but it says the earth is what? The Lord's and what? All that it contains. Ownership of that which is God's is, is, the, is the access point of pride, And it's how Hezekiah slowly broke down all the way to the point where he didn't care about what was coming in the next generation. There's a guy named David Guzik who writes commentary on this passage, and he says that, that Hezekiah makes five mistakes. I, I'm going to go through all, all five of these, though I think they all can kind of just be combined into one. But the first one, obviously, is that he says that, that he, had, he had pride. He was proud of the, uh, of the honors that the Babylonians brought. That was the easiest trick in the book. They didn't have to try very hard, did they? They came knowing that we will appeal to the pride of Hezekiah, and it was easy, right? They came with gifts. They came and, and said, wow, look at how great you are. And, then, and, and he showed them everything. They came perfectly. The other thing that he says, the second thing he says is they came, or that Hezekiah struggled with here is ingratitude. He took honor to himself that really belonged to the Lord. And we saw that he could have, all of the riches, his, his health, everything belonged to God. And he didn't take the opportunity to say it. He abused the gifts given to him. He took the gifts and the favors to his own honor and gratification of his lust. We just read how over and over he said, okay, and this was mine. He made for himself cities and he stored up for himself riches and gold and silver. He had carnal confidence Think about the level of trust that he gave the Babylonians. He came and showed them everything. 
Why would he extend that level of trust to, a, to an enemy? And they weren't necessarily an enemy yet. They were, at this point in history, Babylon was, was kind of a, a junior superpower. Okay, Assyria was it. Assyria was the, was the guy you did not want to mess with. Assyria was the one sweeping the area, taking over everybody. But Babylon, at this point, was growing, and everybody knew it. Babylon was a junior superpower. Eventually, and we'll see it, Babylon will overtake Assyria and wipe out everything, and Babylon will become a monster twice as big as Assyria was. This is how they were growing. And what does Hezekiah do? In his confidence that he, that he can figure it out, that he can do it, he brings them in and trusts in his, his agreement with the Babylonians. Has he not learned his lesson? When was the last time that he tried to do that? With Assyria, right? What did he do? He sent them his stuff. And did it work? Nope. And so in this situation, it's like, have you, did you remember nothing from this deal with Assyria? And you know what pride does? Pride does that, doesn't it? Pride will block failure of the past. Pride will go, it's okay. You can still, you're still strong enough. You can still do it on your own. And then he just totally and completely missed opportunity to testify of who God had been and what God had done. And the whole point of all of this, I, the, the reason we, we read, and, and I don't want to just like end on this great victory against the Assyrians. I want to end here. It's sobering, isn't it? It ought to be. He started reigning when he was 25, had incredible victory, had incredible blessing, and this is how his story ends. And we started this whole series. The whole thing started under this, uh, under this conviction from the Lord that God was calling you and me, God was calling us to be a Hezekiah generation. That God was calling us to be people who restore. That God was calling us to be people who valued again the presence of God. That God was calling us to be people who again brought the church into a place of unity. That this is who God was calling us to be. The next great move of God sits in the midst of your generation. And this is who God has called us to be. And that's why we started this, that's how we started this story. But I want to tell you that this, this fall of Hezekiah is just as important for us to read. Because in great blessing, we must still walk humbly with the Lord. How many moves of God have been extinguished as they started well and then the people in, in, within the movement began to own it? Began to say, this is the work that we have done. Began to publish it and, and make it their own. Began to, to sell it. That's the fastest way for a move of God to be extinguished is for the people that are in the midst of it to begin to own it. And, and right now, in the midst of what God is doing in this city, I don't know if you're on board or not. I don't know if you think I'm a nut to say that God is doing stuff in this city and that, God, and, and that there is a move of God that is, that is already beginning. We are in it. I don't know if you believe that or not. If you don't, I'm sorry. Maybe I am a little bit crazy, but I absolutely believe it. And I want to tell you that if for one minute, those of us that are in the midst of it and believe it and are part of it begin to say, and look at what we have done begin to look at ourselves, begin to own it ourselves. Look at what God has done on campus. And maybe it's because of what we've done. Maybe it's because we're that creative. Maybe it's because we're that good of evangelists. Maybe it's because we're that full of the Holy Spirit. If at any moment we begin to own this move of God, we will fall in pride just the way that Hezekiah did. And the reason I want to talk about this with us this morning is because I want to tell you that starting strong means nothing if we don't finish well. 
Starting strong means nothing if we don't finish well. It's all fine and good that Hezekiah did what he did and we remember him for what he, for what he did, but we also know that what he did could have lasted for generations, but it didn't. It didn't because of his pride. I'm not saying generations later have no responsibility, but I'm saying his pride was the reason, the primary reason that things deteriorated for those that were coming next. Discipleship is a lifetime. Discipleship is beyond a lifetime. And if we don't get it in our minds that, that, that following Jesus is not a commitment that I make, and I hope he really does a lot of good things here in these next four years because then I, I get married and have kids and life comes, and then that's where it all kind of fizzles, you know, fizzles out. Discipleship is an absolute commitment for a lifetime. One of my, one of my heroes, his name is Eugene Peterson. He's a, a pastor. He's a pastor that wrote... Uh, the Message Bible, if you've ever uh, read that. He's a love for the Hebrew language, for language in general. But he wrote a book called, uh, it's like 1998 or something. So you were just opening your eyes then, which is devastating for me. <laughs> the book's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Listen to this quote from that book. It says, there is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. I want to read that to you again, the back part of that. There is little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. The Christian world is full of examples of starting strong and not finishing well. I heard, uh, you guys have probably heard of Christine Kane. I heard her speak at a conference one time and she said, the only reason I'm standing on this platform now is I'm the only one around. Not because I'm better than everybody else, not because I was more creative or more dynamic or any of those things, but just because I just stayed faithful longer. I'm just, I'm just the only one left. Everybody else started strong and it was and started like a fire and I'm just the only one left. And she was encouraging us to, to stay committed that discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction, that moves of God last for generations and generations and generations. You are part of something bigger that will last beyond your lifetime, but to be part of it, it will take your entire lifetime. We think that because Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, that the task is easy and light. The only reason that Jesus says that the yoke is easy and the burden is light is because he's carrying it. Not because it's an easy thing. Holiness is not an easy thing. You just have Christ to carry it with you. It doesn't require nothing of you. You have to be part of this thing. It's easy because he walks with you, but the task is hard. He says for us to take up our cross and to follow him. And I just got curious. I thought, okay, then, then that means we ought to be able to find this all over the scriptures. We ought to be able to find this urgency to stay in it, to stick through in, in an entire lifetime. We ought to be able to find that in the scriptures. And so I just began to search the New Testament. I went to all the letters in the New Testament, even went into the Gospels, and I went, okay, where is this urging? And so what we're going to do for the next few minutes is I'm just going to read passage after passage after passage after passage. Then I found where 
the writer was urging churches or Jesus was speaking to his disciples and the encouragement was hang in there, keep going, have a vision that is beyond just these days, stay in it. And I want to just read these over you, all right? So they're going to be on the screen. I want to tell you, I'm going to go fast. So I'm not going to wait for you to, you know, turn to it. So if you want to write these down, just jot the little references because they'll be on the screen. Romans 16, 19. I'm actually going to read them on the screen. So if you'll make sure you get them up there so I can read them, that'd be good. All right. For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and, and innocent as to what is evil. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56 and 58. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself. Words for Hezekiah, right? Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But it let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Keep going. This one keeps going. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Listen to this. And let us not grow what? Weary. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are the household of faith. Do not grow weary. Do not give up. Philippians chapter 3. This is a long one as well. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, what does he say? Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Keep going, this will go to chapter four. Or is that all of it? That shouldn't be all of it. That's all of it. All right, that's all of it. Colossians chapter four. Verse 2, he says, continue what? Steadfastly in prayer. Don't pray once, right? Continue, what's the word? Steadfast. Are you beginning to pick up the language? Stand firm, keep going, steadfast, endure, persevere. Go to 1 Thessalonians. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the who? Yeah, Idleness and faint-heartedness. Come on, come on. 
Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast. That's a good pirate term. Hold fast, right? means stay the course, hang on, hold fast to what is good. Go to 2 Thessalonians. As for you, brothers, do not grow up. Don't grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. We ought to do that in Sunday school, right? (laughs) If you see anyone not obeying what we say here, take note of that person. I want to know. He says, and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Go to 1 Timothy. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. He's talking about something he said earlier. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the what? The good fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. When? When? Yeah, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, not until next Tuesday. Right? Look at it. Go back, uh, Ryan, please. Sorry, I would have corrected my children. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Read this again. Go forward one more. To what? He's charging you to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Go to Second Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you... Always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Go to James. Be patient, therefore, brothers. When? I love this. Be patient when? Until the coming of the Lord. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Listen to this. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. 
What a word to Hezekiah, but what a word to us as well. There's a few more. Now, this is where Jesus, this is Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is speaking in the context of the end of the age. Okay? He's telling his disciples of all of the difficult things that are coming. Listen to this. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at proper time? Blessed is that servant who his master will find so doing when he comes. What is he, what is he talking about? So doing what? Being faithful. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, I want to tell you, I don't believe this is a warning to the lost. Woe to us. That's a, sorry, that's a big Bible phrase. But I don't know. Woe is the only thing that's in my head. If we say, he's delayed. It's not coming. This is what Hezekiah did. He got, he, he got his eyes off of what was the end. And he began to focus on himself. And he began to what? Right? He began to eat and drink. And then it came on a day that he didn't expect him. In an hour he does not know. Go ahead to the next one and then we're going to finish. Matthew chapter 28, and this is the Great Commission. We love this. This is all roses, right? Come on. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is the work that we're to do, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to win. There's a little context for the timing of discipleship. Why would we need him to be with us always until the end of the age, lest that was the amount of time that he had called us to do the work? You with me? Discipleship, following Jesus, this work is a work of long obedience in the same direction. All right, I'm going to close. And I'm going to close just in summary. In 2 Kings chapter 20, we read that the next generation, Hezekiah's successors turned from the Lord. It's, It's a sad story. His sons turned from the Lord. And a hundred years later, about, the words of Isaiah the prophet came in every detail true. And Babylon marched into Judah and hauled off uh, the, uh, the people of Judah. People we know from this, uh, we, we know some famous people that served in the courts of the Lord that were in the lineage of Hezekiah, one of those prominently being Daniel. We read about Daniel, right? He was a servant to the king of Babylon. And what did did Isaiah the prophet say? That your sons will serve as eunuchs in the kingdom of Babylon. And a hundred years later, those words, that prophecy came true. And I just want to close with this. We we were going to go into a little bit more detail. But your faithfulness for a lifetime matters for the next generation. If you see this all about you and what happens in your day, you'll miss it. Your faithfulness matters for those who come next to you. Some of you are in positions of leadership in your spheres of influence. Your faithfulness today matters for those who will step into your shoes tomorrow. It matters. Some of you need to really hear that today. You're in positions of leadership. 
and the work may seem small and it may seem like a long and hard work and you may not feel like you're getting anywhere. Don't lose heart. Because the person that will step in behind you, the person that will lead in the kingdom behind you will receive the blessing of your faithfulness. They absolutely will. And if they choose to walk in that same obedience, then whoever steps in after them will also receive the blessing of your faithfulness and obedience. It matters for the next generation. We're not disconnected. We ought to be thankful for the work that God did in generations before us. And we ought to be faithful because of the work that God is going to do in generations after us. This is all connected until the end of the age. God, help us to do this. Keep us from pride. In Jesus' name.